Good morning, all. Thank you. How are you all this morning? <clears throat> that is excellent. It is good to be here with you this morning. My name is Dave Fournier, and uh, I'm honored to be here this morning, and I'm really sorry for the scripture we had to read. It's Roger's fault. Okay, blame him. He's having me preach on imprecatory psalms. What in the world is that? that? I mean, imprecatory, and it sounds like a curse word doesn't it? Actually, that's exactly what it means. It means to curse. And we're on a, an adventure through the, through the Psalms to find out how we can relate with them in our lives today. And there are a whole mess of Psalms uh, that are imprecatory in nature. Uh, so what is an imprecatory Psalm? Uh, they are psalms that contain curses or prayers for punishment of the psalmist's enemies. To, impre to Im imprecate means to invoke evil upon our curse or to ask judgment for. And yes, they're in the word of God. A number of scriptures, Psalms 5, Psalm 7, Psalms 35... 55, 58, 59, 69, 79, 109, 137, and 139 are just the beginning of imprecatory sections, or some psalms are the whole thing. Psalms 109, we'll be covering that this morning and how that infects, how, that, how, how we can relate with that and how that actually uh, works in a new creation environment and today. That's my goal. All right. The theological aspect to this is the psalmist did not hesitate. This is from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. So the psalmist did not hesitate to avow their loyalty to God and his covenant in their zeal to champion righteousness. Their words frequently, frequently contain imprecations or curses. They prayed that God would break the arms of the wicked. Psalms 10. Smash their teeth, Psalms 58. Turn his wrath on them, completely devastating, Psalms 69. It must be remembered that the psalmists were filled with zeal for God uh, and for his theocracy. Thus, these expressions were not indication of their personal vendetta. Right. I'm not totally convinced of that. As I read through, I read through these imprecatory psalms, I'm going, ooh, uh, yeah, there might be some personal stuff in there. But we'll continue. The psalmist, in fact, protest uh, that their kindness to such people have been betrayed by treachery, which we'll see in Psalms 105, uh, 109. Uh, their prayers uh, represent their longing that God cause, God's cause be vindicated on earth and that sin would be judged, which God would eventually do. So in essence, all the purgatory psalms are the psalmist praying for judgment that God would eventually do anyway on the wicked, right? So that's kind of the, the balance there that we'll be talking about. So what I want to do right now is just take you through Psalms 109 in the Passion, uh, the Passion Translation. 
And I, I just want you to hear it, okay? Just hear the pain, hear the struggle, hear the desire for God to do something about it. And see if you can see yourself somehow in that psalm. That'll be very important. I doubt there's too many of us, since all of us breathe oxygen, haven't experienced some type of pain in our lives because of other people. Family members, friends, strangers, and you've had to figure out how to deal with that pain and that hurt and how you've been wronged and how you've been stolen from and how you've been extorted by others. So let's just see what God has for us in Psalms 109. And this is just the introduction of this morning, so I hope you're buckled up and ready to go. All right. So this is Psalms 109. It starts off, God of all my praise, don't stand silent by, aloof to my pain, while the wicked slander me with their lies. Even right in front of my face, they lie through their teeth. I've done nothing wrong to them, but they still surround me with their venomous words of hatred and vitriol. Though I love them, they stand accusing me like Satan for what I've never done. I will pray until I become prayer itself. In other words, I'm going to keep praying this way, God, until you do something. They continually repay me with evil, when, they show, when I show them good, they give me hatred when I show them love. So he stands now before God saying, God, I've been hurt. People have wronged me. And now he goes on to say, this is what I'd like you to do to them. Verse 6. Show him how it feels. Let accusing liars be raised up against him like Satan himself standing right next to him. And let him be declared guilty by a wicked judge. May even his prayers be as seen as sinful. Shorten his life and let another replace him. Make his wife a widow and his children orphans. Ouch. Let, the wander, uh, let them wander as beggars in the street like homeless vagabonds evicted from their ruins or their homes. Let their creditors seize his entire estate and strangers like vultures take all that is left. Let no one be kind to him by showing him pity to, the fatherless, to his fatherless children. May all his posterity die with him. Cut down his family tree. And may all the sins of his ancestors be recorded, um, remembered before you forever. Cut off even the memory of his family from the face of the earth. Not as, only is he praying against his of wife and his kids, but he's going to his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. He's trying to get it all over. This guy must have been hurt. By the way, his name's David. Okay? Uh, don't read too much into that. All right. Because he never once showed... Now, this is why he's praying this way. Because he never once showed love or kindness to others but persecuted the poor, the brokenhearted, and the afflicted ones, even putting them to death. Ooh, that kind of sounds like Paul. Anyway, uh, since he enjoyed cursing them, may all his curses now come raining back on him until he overwhelms him with mis misfortune. 
Since he refused to bless others, God withhold every single blessing from him. Bitterness, such as vile vindictive, that word there, was upon everything he did. Cursing was his lifestyle. So smother him now with his own curses as his just reward. This will be the Lord's punishment upon him. All my lying and all my lying accusers who speak evil against me. But now, O Yahweh God, make... Now this is now the cry of his heart. He's now just released all that pain to God, which is going to be kind of like the subject of our message this morning. He released all that pain to God, and now he's asking God to touch him, okay? So, but now, O Yahweh God, make yourself real to me like you promised me you would. Because of your constant love and your heart-melting kindness, come be my hero and deliver me. I'm so broken, needy, hurting. My heart is pierced through, and I'm so wounded. I'm slipping down the dark slope, shaken to the core and helpless. All my fastings have left me so weak, I can hardly stand. Now I'm shriveled up, nothing but skin and bones. I'm the example of failure and shame to all who see me. They just walk by me, shaking their heads. You have helped me, O Lord. You have to help me, O Lord. My true hero, come to my rescue and save me. For you are loving and kind. Then everyone will know that you have won my victory. And they will say aloud to the Lord, you have finished it. So let them curse me if they want. But I know you will bless me. All their efforts will destroy me. All their efforts to destroy me will fail. But I will succeed and be glad. Remember that verse. I'm going to read that one again. Verse 28. So let them curse me if they want, but I know you will bless me. All their efforts will destroy me. All their efforts to destroy me will fail, but I will succeed and be glad. So let my Satan-like accuser fail. Make them look ridiculous if they try to come against me. Clothe them with a robe of guilty shame from this day on. But I will give my thanks to you over and over, and everyone will hear my lavish praise. For you stand right next to the broken ones and their saving hero to rescue them from the accuser. That's the word of God. So what do we do with imprecatory psalms? How do we respond? What part do they play in our life? That's a tricky question. There's a lot of different... uh, answers out there. Some will say we should ignore these type of psalms completely because of our new creation reality, our revelation of Jesus Christ and his teachings. We should ignore them completely. That's not the way we're supposed to pray. Yes and no. Some will say this is how we pray against our spiritual adversary, the devil. So this is how you can pray against the enemy. Find all the imprecatory prayers and use those as prayers against the devil. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's kind of cool. I actually would recommend it. Some say that they are the inspired word of God and should be followed as such. So we should be praying them just like they are, and that's how we should be praying against our enemies. Uh, Yeah, just be careful with that. I think we're told to uh, be careful how we judge others. 
because we're guilty of the same thing. By the way, that's Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Something to read, maybe. Got to be careful. How do you balance that? How do you work that in? But how about this? How about we see them as real prayers by real people for real reasons? Obviously, something happened in their life, something they saw that was being an injustice, and they decided to pray about it. Somehow they found in the scripture, so we can say they were inspired. They are prayers that show us, I think, that God is real good, safe place for you to vent, and here it is, your anger when you've been hurt by others. The one place you should never hide your anger from is God. And I think the imprecatory Psalms teach us that. When you've been hurt by others, the first place you should be venting is your Heavenly Father. That pain doesn't keep you from the presence of God. It is actually what I would call a golden ticket into the presence of God. When you're angry and upset and hurt and just really would like to see somebody put down in the mud because of what they've done to you, you should take that to Father and let him hear that. And I'll show you why as we continue. Of course, the New Testament, new creation, as New Testament, New Creation believers, uh, we have been given a different type of prayer life because of, give, of the giving of the full revelation of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is true. And we'll be covering a lot of that this morning. However, that does not mean that our Father God does not want you to hear you when you are in distress. On the contrary, he wants to hear all of you. He wants to hear every part of you. And you know all the songs we talk about how we want to give ourselves to Jesus, all of me for all of you, and... I surrender all. <laughs> Hello? Surrender your hurt and your pain. Raw motion to your Father. He created it for a purpose. And we'll see how that works, hopefully, by the grace of God. As in Psalms 109, our Heavenly Father never wants to pretend to be something other than who you are when you enter His presence. He does not want you to pretend to be not hurt, so holy, or everything's just great and dandy, you know, like we act when we come to church. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. Oh, good. How are you? I'm doing good. Great. Now we go on to the next person, and we can, that's not how God wants you to deal with him. When you get into his presence, he wants to hear what's going on. He wants to hear what's in your heart. He already knows what's in your heart, so you're not hiding anything from him. He just wants to hear it from you. He likes to hear your voice. He likes to hear you talk to him. He likes the communication. Adam and Eve had hid themselves in the garden. God came down to the cool of the day and started walking around and said, where are you? He says that to us every day. He wants that connection. When you are in pain, he is waiting to hear the anguish of your heart. He desires to weep when you are weeping. Imprecatory Psalms like 109 give us the insight that our Father is waiting to hear 
our side of the story and loss uh, of the story, how we lost and how we endured injustice from others. As we proceed, I want you to please remember this about the psalmist when they were asking God to dole out justice. He was not asking permission to do it himself. He was asking God to take care of it. I think that's key. So, should it be just Old Testament, New Testament? Well, let's talk about Jesus. Isn't there a song like that? Let's talk about Jesus, right? Anyway, so let's talk about him. Jesus used imprecatory statements. Matthew 23, he doled out seven woes to the uh, Pharisees and the scribes. And then after a big, big, big scathing chapter, he ends up with this. Assuredly, I say, in Matthew 23, 36, 38. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. What things? Bad things. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to her. How often I want to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chick under her wings. But you are not willing See, your house is left to, your de- to you desolate. Paul used imprecatory language in the New Testament. He wrote over two-thirds of it. 1 Corinthians 16, 21, he tells someone that they're, if they don't love Jesus, they're accursed. And then he says, come, Lord. Galatians 1, 9 He says, if you preach any other gospel than what he did, you're going to have a double curse. Romans 3.8, he's being charged falsely about saying, let's do evil that good may come of it. And he says, their condemnation is just. Hmm. 1 Timothy 1.20, he talks about two guys, Hymaeth, Hymaeth, him and the other guy, Alexander. I, I can say that word, but for some reason I can't this morning. Anyway, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul does that in Corinthians too. Interesting. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I think I remember a story where Paul was preaching to a guy named um, uh, Sergius Paulus. He was a proconsul. And this sorcerer, Elimus, Elimus, got in the way, and he pronounced a curse on him that he'd be blind for a time, and then he went groping about for a bit. We can't hide from the truths of the word of God that these things exist. We have to figure out how they work. We need to seek God. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to find out what things look like today. Don't, and you know, we could even stop and talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Hmm. Or every time you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like to talk uh, uh, about that passage a lot, meaning that 
well, all the good things of God are available, like his healing and his provision and so forth, which I believe it does. But we can't hide from the fact that it also means judgment. Prophecy throughout the entire word of God talks about the day of the Lord when it comes will have the vengeance of God with it. Now, I'm sure you're all edified and we can just go home and sing some songs. And These are just the truths from the word of God that we can't run from or hide from. But figure out, okay, Holy Spirit, how do they work with us today? So let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. Not what he did about it, but what he had to teach us and how we're supposed to respond to negative situations in our life. Matthew 5, 38, 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on one, uh, slaps you on one, on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you, let him take your tunic. Uh, to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Going on to verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemies and hate your enemies. I'm sorry. You should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But what I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do not uh, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, and for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not the, even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So that's Jesus' teaching. Paul sums it up really well in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> Work with that, please. We're, we're being told to do good things for it, but it's going to be coals on his head. Ah, so now I can make you a batch of cookies, and I know it's going to be coals on your head. That works. It's, how? Do not overcome evil... I do not be over, here, here's, the, here's the clincher. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Ooh. So, we see a tension here. 
And as I'm one who's really in favor, if you've ever heard me teach about grace versus the law and so forth, I completely believe the law is done. However, the Old Testament isn't all the law. It's the word of our Father, and we have these scriptures to, in there for a purpose, for us to understand, as, as we want to bring out in these teachings of the Psalms that we're going through, is that they actually are show us something how we can relate with God, and I hopefully am conveying that with you this morning. We have Old Testament truth, but we have to have tension with that with New Testament reality. That's the way I like to think of it. The Old Testament is truth, but the New Testament is a reality that's higher, a little bit more glorifying. Paul tells us that in Corinthians that the, the Old Testament had a glory, but this new life in the Spirit has much more glory. Can someone say amen? Good. There are people out there. They're not just silhouettes of me seeing people. Amen. Good. Good. Anyway, Jesus said, you heard that it was said... And then he said, but what I say. So here we have, this is what you've been taught. It's the truth. But I'm going to give you a greater reality for you to work in. It's not dismissing the Old Testament truth. It's adding to it a greater understanding on how we work with it. And I would like to help you see that this morning. <clears throat> In a way that I like to talk is, um, I did this a message a couple years ago, almost two years ago, and it's called Jesus Our Restorer, and it teaches us about how Jesus is our trespass offering. Okay? In the old, going back now to the Old Testament truth, there are five different offerings in the Old Testament that they were taught to do. In the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it specifically spells out and shows us how Jesus was the one sacrifice that culminated everything out of the Old Testament. And that would include these five sacrifices. Here they are. The first three are free will offerings, the burnt offering, the meal offering, and the peace offering. These are offerings you could bring on your own accord, out of your own free will, because of your relationship with God. You knew God loved you, and you wanted to do something and give something back to God. You could do either one of these three or a combination of them or whatever. These sacrifices. They were willing sacrifices given to you to be able to do. Then there are two types of sin offering. One was called the sin offering or guilt offering sometimes. The sin offering is about who you are. You're a sinner, and you need forgiveness. You're a sinner not because of your actions, but because of what Adam did, according to Romans chapter 5. Adam be, be, uh, became a sinner, uh, disobeyed God, and made you a sinner before God. Verse 19. So you're a sinner before God because of what Adam did at Calvary. I don't know why I pointed to myself when I said Adam, but that's the way it goes. So, the sin offering was for who you are. The trespass offering is a little different. It's for what you have done. Your sins against God specifically or against others. 
your trespass offering. I mean, so that's what the trespass offering is for. And that is the focus of the rest of this story. So I'm sorry, another scripture to take you through, but this is important. To lay out this where I'm trying to head and how we bring the imprecatory Psalms into our lives today with what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Leviticus 6, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered him for safekeeping. In other words, I delivered you a cow, and it died under your care, and you lie about it that it had nothing to do with you as all this stuff. So you're lying about something that you gave safekeeping for, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he has extorted from his neighbor. I mean, this is getting into legal stuff here. Um, or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the things which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or lost or the lost thing for which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore its full value. Everyone say full value. We're still in a Pentecostal church. Thank you. All right. All right. So you're, you're good listeners. Full value. That's 100%, right? For you mathematicians out there. Add one-fifth more to it. So you're supposed to, if you, if, you, if you were extorted, this person now has to return to you 100% of what was stolen plus another fifth. That's a total of 120%, right? Okay. And give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram, Jesus, without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him and before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things which he may have done in which he trespassed. So what's going on here? What, what, am, I, what am I talking about? Well, sorry for taking you there and back again, Old Testament, New Testament, lots of scriptures, but I hope it makes sense as we start talking about how Jesus wants to restore everything you've been defrauded of in your life. And these are things you've been defrauded of by other people. And when God restores, he always restore, great, restores greater in quantity and or quality or both. He does more. Jesus restored to the Father, all that was defrauded from him. Don't you think God was defrauded the day Adam and Eve took from the tree? That wasn't God's plan. It was sin. Anything that's sin defrauds God. He was defrauded from an entire plan in one sense. I think we're on the plan we're supposed to be, but that's another... We're typing hypothetical me, maybe here. But it wasn't God's will he was defrauded 
and that defrauding and let sin enter the world and then death through sin. So yes, God was defrauded by what Adam and Eve did. But not only that, Romans accuses you of sinning too. And you have defrauded God. Now I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just trying to make a point. But every one of us in here who believes in that you can hear from the Holy Spirit has disobeyed his voice. I bet sometime in your life. And when we do that, we defraud God of what he wants. But Jesus restored to the Father all that was defrauded him from the fall of Adam and from all of your sins. Greater in quality and quantity. Jesus is an overpayment. Someone say amen. He paid for everything plus He paid for entire human race that has ever existed and that will still exist. That one sacrifice at Calvary covered all of that. And not just enough, but more than enough. At the end of the time, when all this is done, and we start with the new reign that Jesus is bringing to us, and all this stuff is done, Jesus would still have been an overpayment for what was defrauded, God. Thank you. So when God restores, it's always greater in quality or quantity. Psalms 96.4 says, Those who hated me without a cause, those who hate me without a cause, are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have, not, have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Why am I reading that psalm? Well, because John tells us in John 15, 25, Jesus talking about how, to, to the disciples, how they will be hated and mistreated because of their love for him. He says, when this happens, it, 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 But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was in their law, that they hated me without a cause. Most of the scholarship points back to Psalm 69, this verse. And at the end of this verse, he says, though I've stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Jesus stole nothing. And he became the sacrifice that would restore Everything that was stolen from God by what you and I have done. So now what? Jesus has become our sin sin and trespass offering to God. Hallelujah. Jesus is an overpayment to God for our sin. God is now a gainer of all that I stole from him. God is better off now as a result of Jesus submitting as the Lamb of God. Tilt. God is better off? Well, yes, in the beginning when he made man, he created a male and female, right? And he said this was good. These were eternal beings, so still subject to death. They weren't immortal. They were eternal beings, created perfectly for God with wills that could make a bad decision, which they did. After the cross, what do we have? New creation believers 
who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have been promised a life of immortality. And Jesus, in, in John 17, says that you're one with God as they are one. Better. Better. Better covenant based on better promises. Old Testament was glory, had glory in it, yes. Columns of fire, oceans, waters being divided. But what we have is more glorious. So we're better off. God's better off. How does that work? Well, the next time you sin, the next time you sin, I recommend that you do this. Jesus, thank you. I, I confess you. When you take your sin to Jesus, you're confessing it. Thank him for being your trespass offering. And say, Father, I'm so happy that you're better off now for what Jesus did. Amen. God can't help but forgive you. Your sin, your trespass against God has been paid for in full. Plus more. Everyone say, plus more. Thank you. Jesus is your 120% restoration to God. Now, if that sounds exciting enough, there's more. Jesus is not only your trespass offering to God, he is also the offender's trespass offering to you. So, what if you've been sinned against from another person? What if you've been taken advantage of? What if you've been stolen from? What if you've been cheated on, abused, manipulated, passed over, forgotten, left behind? Jesus is, of, Jesus is the offender's trespass offering, and Jesus is also your trespass offering as an offender. Meet my stick, friends. Hello. Knock, knock. Are they there? Maybe. Oh, there they are. Mr. A and Mr. B. Mr. A is the offender. Mr. B is the offended. Old Testament. Eye for an eye. You offend me, I get to offend you. Boom. End of story. Done. Supposed to be equal. Supposed to be over. You take my eye, I get your eye, and we're supposed to be happy friends after that. Kumbaya. Okay? All right. New Testament reality. Jesus is the trespass offering that now stands between you and whoever has offended you. Hmm. You could uh, demand restoration from the one who offended you. Or, and it's your legal right to do so, both in the law and in our earthly laws. Or, or and, you can take it to Jesus, your trespass offering, and find out if there's a better way. Hmm. So what I want to leave with you this morning as we get ready to worship. So you've been hurt dreadfully, possibly, maybe. I hope not, but I know the reality of that with the amount of people we have in the room. Because I know I've been hurt dreadfully throughout my life. 
First off, always bring your hurt to the Lord. I think that's what the imprecatory Psalms teach us. Make sure you're not hiding what you're feeling to God. Bring it to him in its raw emotion and exactly where it's, what, what, what's in your heart. Be honest with all your emotions. If you're angry because of the hurt, uh, of the hurt and who hurt you, say so. If you want justice for the pain and want God to break their teeth, say so. Tell them. This is just between you and God. You're not asking permission to go break somebody's teeth. You just want God to do something about it. God, I've, I've been hurt and you promised to take care of me. Do something. Let it out. Let it, just, yeah. Just do it, okay? Empty yourself from all the anger, fear, doubt, for which all the natural, which is, all comes from the natural response to pain. He wants to weep with you. He already knows your pain, but he wants to feel it with you. He wants to experience it with you. He wants to walk with you. But don't stop there. Once you've emptied yourself out, now receive. Now lay it down and receive from the Father what Jesus can do with a trespass offering. Receive the 120% restoration of her whatever he has. After you become quiet, after you let it all out, receive. He is the trespass offering. He's your 120% restoration. He will make you better off after have been hurt. Don't we believe that? That he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think? Or that he works all things together for our good? Doesn't those scriptures agree with this? That we'll better off after you've been hurt? I, when I first heard this taught, the, uh, where I heard it from, he goes, you know, after I learned this, he said, I stopped worrying about people slandering me on Facebook. I, I welcomed it. Because every time I got, I got 120% restoration. I'm better off after being hurt than before. Now, with this message, don't make the mistake of trying to demand God what the 120% should be. Talk to Him about Him, let Him know your desire but you've got to trust him that his 120% is better than anything that you can think of. Amen? All right. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't take any legal activity if something was illegal. No. Nope. God put us in a, in, a, in a governing environment in our country where we're at that you have the right to take legal recourse. That In those cases, go see a lawyer. They're going to help you with that side of it. That doesn't make you less Christian, less believer, and so forth. However, if you do the legal side and don't do this side, you may win big and you'll be an empty cuss. You're still going to be filled with pain because the legal, our legal system can't heal your pain. No matter what they do. No matter if they get you a million dollars or if they have to put the person to death. 
because it was that grievous of a crime. It will not fix what's inside. Only Jesus can, and he can do that with a trespass as the trespass offering from God. Amen? So as we worship now, thank you. Increase that volume just a little bit more. Thank you. As we worship now, allow Jesus to become your trespass offering, okay? So let me pray. Father, I pray that you use the Holy Spirit to open our eyes this morning to all that you've provided us through Jesus Christ as being our trespass offering. Help us, Lord, to be able to speak our hearts to you, our pain, our suffering. Help us to be able to even share if we want other people to suffer the consequences for their hurt to us. Let us be real before you. But we are thankful that you are not afraid or offended at our hurt, our pain, our anger. Please hear our hearts this morning as we worship you and praise your holy name in Jesus' name.